We invite those who are uh, able to stand as uh, we read the gospel lesson this morning, as found in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, verses 11 through 19. As Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, he went along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village when he met when he was met by ten men suffering from a dreaded skin disease. They stood at a distance and shouted, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus saw them and said to them, Go and let the priests examine you. On the way they were made clean. When one of them saw that he was healed, he came back, praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself to the ground at Jesus' feet and thanked him. The man was a Samaritan. Jesus spoke up. There were ten men who were healed. Where are the other nine? Why is this foreigner the only one who came back to give thanks to God? And Jesus said to him, Get up and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for the people of God. I'm standing on a box back here. It's about 18 inches wide. And uh, I have a tendency to move around and stuff, so if I fall off of this box and break an ankle, am I covered by workers' compensation? I just, just fall backwards. Yeah. You're sitting back here today with all these boxes out. You were sort of like we like we've been walled in, and uh, feels good to be up and see out over the over this wall. But it's a wonderful, wonderful thing you've all done here today. Well, I want to talk to you. This is Thanksgiving week, and uh, it's uh, Christ the King Sunday and Thanksgiving Sunday. And I think it's probably been 20 years since I have not spoken about Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Sunday when I've had the opportunity. Uh, you know, two of the biggest uh, sellers in any bookstore, according to Andy Rooney, are the cookbooks, you know, big sections of cookbooks, and big sections of diet books. You ever think that's... You know, some kind of coincidence, he says. Uh, the cookbooks tell you how to prepare the food, and then, of course, the diet books tell you how not to eat any of it. So I don't know where you fall this Thanksgiving Day, but I suspect uh, I will be eating too much. Of course, Orson Welles. Do you remember Orson Welles? He was a large, large man. He says, my doctor has advised me to give up those intimate little dinners for four, unless, of course, there are actually going to be three other people eating with you. And again, I uh, make no promises. I I do tend to overeat uh, on Thanksgiving. Well, our scripture lesson this morning deals with uh, uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. His journey has uh, took him through Samaria and Galilee. Is walking along the border, one of these small villages, when he was confronted by ten men, ten men with. A dreaded skin disease, my translation says, most translations, older translations say leprosy. These men stood far away. They were far off, and they cried out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy on us. Notice that they were a long ways off because of their condition. They had to ha- shout out. It was, it was the, it was the custom, if not the actual law. For them, for these people with this disease, because it was so highly contagious that wherever they went, they had to shout out that they were on their way, that they were, that, that they were coming so that others might not get it. And so they, you know, it's a little hard for us probably to identify 
uh, with that condition. Uh, most people would have ignored these folks, stayed away, with, away from them. They wouldn't have had any real uh, opportunity in life anymore. They relied on other people giving them what they needed in order to survive. They were beggars, but uh, for the most part, and even then, uh, they had to they had to keep their distance from civilized society. The closest we might get to that today would be, you know, drug out uh, addicts or alcoholics who are living on the streets and they're unkempt and unclean, and we just assume not see them or not deal with them, but to keep them out of sight if at all possible. Uh, as far as isolation goes, about the only thing worse uh, today that we could imagine would be, uh, you know, we've. I had to quarantine people with Ebola, which is also, uh, you know, even worse than than leprosy. So, but it's a little hard for us as average citizens to appreciate how bad it was to have this disease in Jesus' day. And so they cry out to Jesus for help, and Jesus does what Jesus does. He helped them. He simply said, "Go and show yourselves to the priests." Well, it was only the priests who could determine whether or not they were well and could be allowed back in society. But the problem was that the priests themselves needed to be kept clean. They couldn't be allowed to be anywhere near to people who were unclean, uh, even if they were unclean in a variety of ways, let alone leprosy. So Jesus simply says to them, go and show the priests. It was going to take an act of faith on their part. Uh, to do this, but they did as they were told. And on the way they go, and on the way they become clean, they become well. Their skin is healed. And one of them immediately turns around and rushes back to find Jesus and throws himself on the ground in front of Jesus and gives him thanks. Can you imagine how thrilled you would be, any of us would be, if you or a family member had some awful, dreaded, lifelong disease, and all of a sudden it was gone. Wouldn't we be thankful? But nine were not. Nine went on with their lives. Happy, I'm sure. Changed, I'm sure. But apparently not thankful enough to turn around and go back to find the one who made it all possible. Kent Crockett in the 911 handbook tells about a woman named Carol. Carol decided she wanted to do something nice for her neighbor who lived down the street, Mrs. Smith. And so one day she baked a, a pie for Mrs. Smith and she carried it to the neighbor. Mrs. Smith opened the door, you know, knock on the door, and uh, Mrs. Smith opened the door and Carol handed her this fresh, beautiful, wonderful pie. And Mrs. Smith replied, oh, for me, thank you so very, very much. You you don't know how much I appreciate it. You're so very thoughtful. And she just gushed thank yous all over the place for this pie. Well, Carol felt so good about uh, having baked that pie and made uh, such a good impression with Mrs. Smith and how happy Mrs. Smith was that she decided the next week she would do it again. And so she baked another pie. She went down the street, knocked on Mrs. Smith's door, Mrs. Smith came to the door, and uh, she uh, again was appreciative. Oh, thank you. This is really very nice. I enjoyed the last I'm sure this one was good, too. Well, this pattern repeated itself. I must bump something. I don't know. Anyway, on the, on the third week, 
knock on the door. Carol takes a pie. Mrs. Smith says, thank you. Took the pie and shut the door. The following week, Mrs. Smith was standing around kind of waiting for her pie, but Carol got busy. Didn't have a time to bake the pie. Carol's walking down the street. Mrs. Smith's looking out the window. She raises the window and says, where's my pie? You see? But that's an awful lot the way we live our lives. You know? We start taking all of the gifts that we have, all of the wonderful blessings we have, we start to take them for granted. And only when we don't have them anymore do we realize how much they're missed. We have to be very, very careful about that. But that's what happened to the other nine. Perhaps they, you know, they took it for granted and were not as thankful as they ought to be. Now, contrast that little story with this one that comes from Heidi Newmark in her book, Breathing Space. She tells about having lunch with a, with a little girl named Danielle. Danielle's mother, Dina, had died from an asthma attack, which was brought on because she was a crack addict. She had no father around in her life, never met her father. So Daniel, Daniel's 10 years old. She has 11 sisters and brothers. Some are older and on their own, and some of them went to live with a relative down south. That left five parentless children in the home. An uncle, known to be a compulsive gambler, moved in. Rumor had it that his uh, main interest was in using the children to get money for his, for his habit. Newmark doesn't know if that's true, but there was little affection or attention shown to these children at home except for what they offered each other. Three of the youngest were in the summer program at Newmark's church. One hot day when a swimming trip was planned for the afternoon, Danielle was brought to Newmark's office and she was crying. It turned out that she didn't own a swimsuit. And so Newmark decided that it would be all right to skip the morning math lesson and go out and find a a swimsuit so that she could go with her friends. That trip took them out over lunchtime, and so they stopped uh, at a nearby McDonald's where Danielle ordered a Happy Meal. Her Happy Meal arrived, and she sat at the table. She went and got herself five napkins. On each napkin, each five, she started to count out the French fries and lay one at a time on each of those five napkins. And Newmark asked her, What are you doing? And she said, My sisters and brothers will feel sad that I got french fries and they didn't. So I'm taking them each a share home for them. What a contrast between a a lady who now expects somebody to deliver her a pie every day and this little girl with brothers and sisters who don't have very much at all. And how happy they'll be for just a few french fries. You see, little Danielle knew what is important in life, and that's not cars or houses or clothes or even turkey and pie on Thanksgiving. What's important are those people you love. What's important 
is that we say thank you to them for being in our lives. That's what's important. When J.B. Foucault was just a boy, someone lent him a helping hand. And he paid them back millions of times over for their kindness. I want to tell you the story of J.B. Foucault. He grew up in rural Virginia in the years just immediately after World War I. Times were tough for a lot of people, and so it was with his family in rural Virginia. He was a young man of very modest means, but he had great ambition, and he really wanted to make something of himself, but no means. He knew he needed an education, but he got very, very interested in, in, in the radio business and becoming a ham operator. But in order for a person to get into this budding new field, remember, we're talking here uh, the early 20s, radio stuff was just, just starting to, to get underway. He had no money to go to school, so what he did was he, he went to uh, Duke University in North Carolina because they had a lending program in which people could check out library books by mail. So he didn't even have to go there. And he started to read every book he could find about radio and about finance and about business and about banking. He read everything he could get his hands on, and he taught himself everything there was to know about the radio business at the time. And so, armed with this knowledge, he began his own radio station in Augusta, Georgia. Soon he added a second station. He began investing his money wisely. As his wealth grew, he became he began buying and selling various businesses. He became tremendously successful and was a millionaire. He was a millionaire by the age of 35. He entered the political ring where he served in Georgia's House of Representatives. By 1970, Fuqua Industries was listed as a Fortune 500 company. And you know what? Once he achieved this incredible success, he decided to give something back to the institution that had helped him get an education in the first place. So in 1980, he made a gift of property and money to Duke University, $20 million. And not long afterwards, Fuqua convinced his friend David Thomas, the founder of the Wendy's, restaurant change to donate another $4 million to the school. Today, if you go to the campus of Duke University, and I hate to say it, that's, you know, Pastor Mike's place, but there, the College of Business is the Fuqua School of Business. No one at Duke could have known all those years ago that their decision to set up a lending library would have such an impact on anyone's life, and they would never have guessed how that kind gesture over time would have been reaped in such a wonderful and positive way and repaid so dramatically later. You see, J.B. Foucault was truly thankful for Duke University's lending library. When you and I are truly thankful for something, we will want to do something in return. Only one of the ten of those men that Jesus healed We're truly grateful. That one returned to give Jesus thanks. My guess is that he also did something worthwhile with his wife, with his life as well. And so the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, what about us? Are we truly grateful? Are we really doing something wonderful and worthwhile in return? Are we living a thankful life? way of life.
Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for this time of the year. We thank you for the many blessings you provide to us on a daily basis. Help us not to take them for granted. Help us to give you thanks in every every way possible. And help us especially show our thanks and appreciation for doing something wonderful for someone else. In Jesus' name, amen.